two useful idiots. I'm Katie Halper. And I'm Aaron Mette. How's it going, Aaron? It's going. It's going. How are you? It's good. I've been knitting lately. Okay. What are you knitting? Uh, I knit two scarves. One for a friend. And this one also for a friend. But she's four. Are you starting a collection or is this just uh, for uh, exclusively for, for your friends? Uh, you mean, yeah, it's, I, I keep it local. So, I mean, I guess I could turn into a business. It's, yeah. it's a little time consuming and expensive to make it a business, but it's, uh, I like doing it for the, for the holidays and I make them, they're very unique because I, I basically know two scarves will look alike because I just kind of pick a pattern as I go. So I do a little knit, knit pearl, different kinds of stitches. Yeah. You can see this one. I don't know if you can see, but it's ribbed. You, you can see the pattern, right? Yes. Yeah, it's ribbed. Yes. That's a cool, it's a new thing that I, I, but then it goes, look, it's ribbed. Now look what it is here. It's no longer ribbed. Then it ribs again. Wow. Very, very complex design. Yeah. Well, um, I hope one day that hits the streets. Mass yeah, market. Maybe you know. you'll be in luck. Maybe you'll turn out lucky. And then March, you'll get one. But I don't know if you'd wear a homemade scarf, would you? Probably not, no. All right. I won't waste it on you, though. Okay. Well, as always, if you go to com, you can uh, sign up for bonus content, including taking part in the Absurd Arena, where you get to interact with other useful idiots and ask us questions. So, Wilson, what do we have this week? This week in the Absurd Arena, we had another great discussion, and it was based on last week's Absurd Arena, which turned into a bit of a venting session. So this week, as we react to that, the question was... How do you react to the ceaseless bludgeoning of news? How, for those of us not on the front lines of activism, can we turn those reactions productive? Interesting question. Wow. How can we turn it into positive? I mean, I do think that there's a role in providing people with information, right? Providing activists with information. So I think that's a good way to to respond positively that I think we try to do on this show. Also, it gives people a sense, I think, of community or comfort so that they can keep on going. You know, people talk often about like preaching to the choir, but I think the choir needs motivation. Yeah, look, uh, this is a tough. This is the perennial question. How do you make a change? How do you get involved? And it's difficult. You know, uh, recently, Katie, uh, you and I went to this rally in New York City for Julian Assange. You know, huge issue. This heroic figure, I think, who was exposed more state crimes than pretty much anybody else um, is being persecuted and tortured for his journalism. And the crowd in New York City the other day was, you know, it was substantial, but it wasn't massive. I've noticed that there's just not a lot of huge outpouring for Julian Assange, in part, I think, because there's been such a successful propaganda campaign to demonize him. So, you know, how do you get around that? Well, it's just the people who get around that are those who are determined and they just keep organizing. And there, in the case of Julian Assange, there are people like that who have been, you know, in the face of all the obstacles and all the drawn out drama, just keep doing it. And that, and that's the answer. Like anything, it just, you got to just find a concrete way to apply your principles uh, in action. And you find a cause you're into and you find other people who feel the same way and you organize, you take part in it. There's, there's really no magic formula. Yeah, and that's why it's so great when people, well, Randy Credico has been organizing them, so shout out to him and all the other organizers. And of course, Roger Waters really uses his celebrity to raise awareness about issues, ranging from Assange to Palestine 
Yeah, so just go be a celebrity. That's the answer, everybody. Yeah, so go, be go a celebrity. do what yeah. uh, do what uh, Roger Waters did. Become an international rock star, tour stadiums, and use your celebrity for that. That's really yeah. the only way to engage in activism. Yeah. And, of course, you make sure that you join our Substack, usefulidiots.substack.com, because uh, we do this Thursday throwdown, which is where we do our your midweek dose of media madness. We analyze media clips, react to media clips, react to news that doesn't fit our uh, Monday morning uh, show. Of course, Monday morning only focuses on the Sunday morning news shows that we watch so that you don't have to. But there's tons of media, obviously, throughout the week. So we respond to that at the Thursday throwdown. It's a great new segment that we've started. And now, of course, it's time for our four food groups. Democrats suck, Republicans suck. Isn't that weird? Isn't that terrible? So what do we got for Democrats, Aaron? Well, when we're talking about Democrats sucking, we can always point to their main project right now, which is the proxy war in Ukraine. And there was talk a few weeks ago of diplomacy. General Mark Milley, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, came out in favor of diplomacy. But that's just not happening. And what's happening instead is just more weapons being sent into Ukraine to keep this war going for as long as possible. So here is the latest one from CNN. The headline reads, exclusive U.S. finalizing plans to send Patriot missile defense system to Ukraine. And the crazy thing about this is that just a few months ago, the Biden administration was refusing to send Patriot missiles to Ukraine for this reason. This is a headline from Defense One in March of this year. Why the U.S. won't give Patriot interceptors to Ukraine. The article says Pentagon officials will not send the advanced Patriot air defense system to Ukraine, saying Thursday that U.S. forces would need to enter Ukraine to operate it which is a non-starter for the Biden administration. So back in March, it was a non-starter to send Patriot missiles to Ukraine. Now, December 2022, end of the year, it's a starter. And uh, Patriot missiles are being sent. And no word on who exactly is going to operate them because it takes months and months, at least three months, to train people into operating Patriot uh, missiles. And so does this mean that U.S. troops will be entering Ukraine to operate them? We don't know. but it's another escalation of this proxy war and another sign that this war is not ending anytime soon. Democrats do certainly suck. And here is a, uh, just to visualize how much weaponry is going into Ukraine. Uh, this user on Twitter made a graphic just to, just to visualize yeah. the amount of weaponry going into Ukraine right now from the U.S. This is uh, from Will Geary on Twitter. And, and look at that. So for our, our podcast audience, we're looking at it just basically like a rainbow spewing into Ukraine from the U.S. And the red symbolizes military assistance. The blue is government assistance. And the yellow is humanitarian. If you look at the military, the red, wow, it's just bigger. massive. And it's, it's going up and up and up. It's, it's double at least the next category of government aid. So um, that's, all the mo- that's all the weaponry <laughs> we're sending into Ukraine right now. And... Wow. You know, this coming just after, of course, Biden refused to give railway workers paid sick leave and uh, Congress backed him up on that. A fraction of that money being spent on Ukraine could have paid for health care for or sick leave for rail workers. And so this this outpouring of weaponry is just going up. Scary three color rainbow we got there. All right. What do we have for Republican suck? For Republicans suck, we have a story about the Arizona governor. Luckily, he's uh, an outgoing governor, Doug Ducey. And he is uh, protesting immigration 
by putting stack by stacking containers on the border. So his term is ending, but he's trying to do all he can to keep out uh, undocumented people. So I'm just reading at the L.A. Times. Uh, work crews have steadily erected hundreds of double stack shipping containers topped by razor wire along Arizona's remote eastern boundary with Mexico as Republican Governor Doug Ducey prepares to leave office. Until protesters slowed and then largely halted the work in recent days, Ducey pressed forward over the objections of the U.S. government environmentalist and incoming governor who has called it a poor use of resources. So he's basically... Uh, wasting all these resources, all this money to put these uh, huge containers on the border, uh, trying to make a barrier. But the irony is that uh, undocumented people haven't been coming through the areas that he's putting these containers. And what's really disturbing is that it's causing a lot of environmental damage. So a lot of different organizations are protesting that. And it looks like they finally did stop it. It's finally come to a halt. He 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 was trying to defend it. Ducey was trying to defend it. Uh, he said that Arizona holds sole or shared jurisdiction over the 60 foot strip the containers rest on and has a constitutional right to protect residents from, quote, imminent danger of criminals and humanitarian crises. Arizona is going to do the job that Joe Biden refuses to do, secure the border in any way we can. We're not backing down, but they're actually being forced to back down. If I were Governor Ducey, I would try to save face at this point and just say, Hey, everyone, psych. I was actually just doing a big art project because this right. totally could be just an installation. Yeah, it could be actually. Yeah. In a, by a major artist. So he's he, he could rebrand as an artist and say, I'm an artist and this was my art project. And I'm, I'm making a statement about immigration and the right. absurdity of, of our of our of our immigration, immigration policy. System. Right. Yeah. 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 Do it, Governor Ducey. Do it, Ducey. You could yeah. paint them red, white and blue. Sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. You can do so much yeah. with that. Yeah. Okay, so for isn't that weird? Look, the category is weird, and apologies to everyone who will have to watch this now, but I think this is weird, so we're going to watch it. And I apologize to you in advance for subjecting you to it. Okay, for people who are not watching, I have terrible news for you all, which is that the people in this car karaoke are include Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton. Walk out the door. Just turn around now. Okay, that's good. Chelsea's driving, Hillary's yeah. in the back seat, and I think we got Vanessa Williams there. Vanessa Williams and the comedian Amber Ruffin. So, yes, that is uh, Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton uh, doing carpool karaoke. Carpool karaoke is back. Wow. I guess, you know, it was on hiatus, but it's it's come back. So, um, yeah, that's my weird. I saw it and I thought, um, here's the former secretary of state responsible for the deaths of so many people. Now getting to, uh, you know, right around saying carpool karaoke. There's just something weird about that. Well, and it's also perfect because I will survive really fits with her self-pitying uh, view of history, you know, where <laughs> everything revolves around Hillary Clinton and her That's loss. True. That is true. She did indeed survive. She's still kicking, She's still <laughs> doing ridiculous things like carpool karaoke and her book, Gutsy Women and master classes. So she is surviving. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if that was a part of her show. So her and Chelsea have a show, right? 
Yes. Where they go around and they interview other gutsy women. Yeah. All right. Well, that is indeed. I mean, that's one of those borderline cases. It could have been, isn't that weird or isn't that terrible? Fair enough. But you did it as a weird, which is good because it leaves me the terrible. And boy, do I have a terrible for you guys today. So this terrible story, uh, I became aware of it thanks to Daily Mail. Uh, They have great stories like this, and they had a great headline. What a cock up man and his father in law are kicked off a Michigan flight for saying penis along with another intoxicated passenger. But let's take a look at a video about the story. New this morning, a father and son are calling out Allegiant Airlines and the Flint Bishop Airport after they were kicked off of their flight last night. The pair were planning to fly to Detroit to meet up with family, but never made it off the ground. According to Jason Bauer, he and his dad were joking around in their seats when an unrelated group of people were getting rowdy nearby. Jason says as the other group was getting kicked off of the plane, one of the flight's crew members kicked them off, too. They didn't give us a reason until they brought us off the flight. They set us down. Uh, finally, Flint police, like the airport authority, came over and told us we were removed because I said the word penis on board an airplane. I meant it in no derogatory issue. I mean, it's a part of the male anatomy, and it got out. And we were literally kicked off an airplane in Flint, and we had to uh-huh. drive. My wife had to come and get us. What the hell, Allegiant Airlines? That is a free speech issue. You should, of course, be allowed to say penis on an airplane. You should be allowed to say penis wherever. Unexplained those why he said penis. He just said, I well, started saying. Well, that's say- what I want to know. Yeah. He just said, I started, I started saying penis. He just he said, I expl- said penis. He yeah. doesn't explain why he said penis. And I, I'd love to know why he I would like to know also. Penis. Yeah. I mean, what but do you think do- he could have been talking about? Maybe but the I- way someone's pants fit. They grabbed the penis too much or something. Who knows? Who knows? But I do think also he is a hero who we deserve to honor. And I, I know what I'm doing next time I board a flight. I'll be saying penis. <laughs> right, to, right away. To stand up for free speech. Yeah. That's stand up. That's, stand up erectly. That's the part that I'll be playing. You know, like our question today right, in the arena was, was, you know, what can you do to apply your beliefs into action? And so this is what I'm doing. This right. is how I'm taking a stand. I'm saying penis next time I take a flight. And I encourage... Everyone wants you to do the same. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. All this man did was say penis. Yeah. What's the crime? What's the crime? Show us the crime. Habeas corpus. Habeas penis. All right. So those are the four basic food groups. We're really excited to talk to Anna Soroka. She is an advisor to the head of the Lugansk People's Republic. From 1997 to 2007, she served in the Ministry of Internal Affairs of Ukraine as a serious crimes investigator. And she was also an advisor to the chairman of the Luhansk Regional Organization of the Ukrainian Red Cross Society on International Humanitarian Law until 2014. From 2018 to 2022, she was first deputy foreign minister of the Lugansk People's Republic. And so just a bit of background as to what all that means. So basically, since 2014 inside Ukraine, there's been a civil war. We've talked about it a lot on the show. There's a coup in 2014. It's backed by the U.S. In response to that coup, Ukrainians in the east of the country who feels that the new U.S.-backed coup government is cracking down on them and on their Russian culture, because many people in the east of Ukraine identify with Russia, uh, speak Russian, are ethnic Russians. They rose up and there was a rebellion. And one of the uh, republics that was founded was the Lugansk People's Republic. So our guest, Anna Soroka, has been very involved in that struggle. And in this interview, she's going to give a voice to uh, her side of the conflict. And it's a side of the Ukraine conflict we don't hear often because the U.S. is on the other side, uh, fueling this civil war. 
that has now escalated into a full-blown proxy war uh, with the U.S. and Russia on opposing sides. So that's the background to our interview. And let's go now to Anna Soroka. Thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to know what's happening right now as we speak in the Luhansk region. And also, Anna, if you could talk about your role as head counselor, what what that consists of, what goes into that? Hello, dear listeners and maybe viewers. My name is Anna Saruka. I am the advisor of the LPR head of the Lugansk People's Republic. And uh, uh, mostly I'm dealing with the protection of the rights uh, and freedoms of our people, uh, of the Lugansk People's Republic. Currently, we are working on uh, to find out uh, about the um, uh, what was happening to the uh, dead servicemen, including the uh, Ukrainian ones. We are collecting and recording the uh, evidences of crimes uh, of the uh, which were done uh, for the victims of Ukrainian aggressions. Uh, we are discovering and opening the graves uh, in order to, in future, make some kind of reburials in the right way, including the uh, dead servicemen of uh, Ukrainian soldiers. We are practically uh, doing this uh, since 2014. And uh, all of us uh, were raised in Ukraine, uh, me also. I am personally the former officer of Ukraine, the policeman. And for me, it was uh, always like a, I felt pain, I felt bad uh, due to the fact that Ukraine began the aggressive military operation against us. Uh, only motivated by some political uh, reasons. And uh, all of that could be resolved peacefully uh, with some kind of agreements. What kind of agreements? All of my teams are lawyers and uh, we understood very well uh, uh, taking into account the international law practice that uh, it could be some kind of federalization process or something else, maybe referendums. Uh, and we never thought to separate from Ukraine before. So then uh, it came to our minds uh, once that uh, Ukraine uh, began to uh, uh, do the military operations against us. For example, the 2nd of June uh, 2014, the center of Lugansk were, uh, attacked, uh, was attacked by the aviation um, and also the uh, 9th of May, the 2nd of May in 2014, the tragedy happened there. So that summer 2014 was a very awful one. Uh, Ukraine uh, was deliberately trying to separate us from the uh, rest of the country, the main part It took uh, such kind of measures as blockage, economic one and social one also. Uh, for three months, we had been living with no electricity and water. And then we understood that there is no way back. And also we were living uh, in the condition of constant severe shelling from the Ukrainian side. 
И несмотря на это, мы пошли на Минские соглашения. And despite of all we've mentioned above, we, the Lugansk People's Republic, decided to have the Minsk agreements with Ukraine in 2014. And since that moment, for eight years, yes, we had been trying to call the Ukraine to resolve the conflict in some peaceful way. It was very hard and pitiful for us to understand that they are rejecting. From the point of view of Ukraine, uh, the people who uh, are living there uh, are unnecessary for Ukraine. They don't need the people, they just need territories. Because these people do not support the uh, state and the ideology of uh, Ukrainian neo-Nazism, Banderas one. So what happened to the Minsk agreement, the Minsk Accords? Why weren't they implemented? Ну, прежде всего, я уже сказала, конечно же, что украинская сторона... So, as I've already said, Ukraine showed uh, itself, uh, itself as an in, absolutely incompetent uh, agree, peacemaker and agree maker. Everything we were suggested uh, to Ukraine uh, during this Minsk, Minsk talks was denied from the Ukrainian side. And uh, as for now, uh, when our territory uh, is already liberated from the U Ukrainian authorities, everybody could can see clear that uh, who actually uh, was sticking to the Minsk agreement and who were not. Mm. Uh, because uh, there were our um, settlements under our authorities, Lugansk People uh, Republic, and they uh, stayed intact. And uh, those uh, settlements uh, which were ruled by the Ukrainian authorities, uh, they are just wiped off the surface of the earth. They are completely destructed. We just saw that the Minsk uh, agreements were uh, completely unproductive. And uh, in uh, the shelling, in, uh, at the, in the end of last year, 2022-21, the shelling from Ukrainian side became uh, more frequent and uh, became indiscriminately. Uh, and in February 2002, the Ukrainian leaders, the politicians, uh, they uh, made uh openly some statement uh, that uh, the civilians of uh, Lugansk People's Republic should be neutralized the nuclear nuclear bomb should be put in the territory of Lugansk People's Republic uh, so uh, all that we heard uh, it made us feel that we are supposed to stand up uh, to protect our land and our homes because it's our history and our land and uh, why should we um, follow the ideology that uh, are not uh, natural for us did Zelensky some people have said that Zel, I mean Zelensky ran as a peace candidate and he ran who promised to implement the the Minsk Accords do you think that he was lying or some say that it was right-wing forces that scared him out of the Minsk Accords. Do you think that's true? Do you think he was scared and intimidated or do you think he changed his mind? Uh, we all looked for the 
Everybody uh, here will watch with bated breath uh, when Zelensky uh, came into elections. And we, uh, hope, yeah, we hope that uh, he as a president uh, of Ukraine will bring peace and the conflict uh, between Donbass and uh, Ukraine will end. After that, when in 2020 and 2021, we witnessed uh, a lot of trouble. And uh, the shelling, as I've already said, become indiscrimin indiscriminately uh, in Donbass territory. So our hope didn't... Yeah, we understood that uh, it was just Zelensky's words. Frankly speaking, everybody of us here understands that uh, Ukrainian uh, leaders, uh, military political leadership, were prepared and yeah, were prepared by its uh, their Western curators for many thousands of years to to wage this war conflict in Donbas. As educated people, we know very well the history of own UPA, Nazi, uh, Nazi army of Ukraine. So we uh, can see very well that the roots of this movement, the Nazi Ukrainian movement, uh, are still visible. Uh, they were cultivated using the basis of hatred towards us, the ordinary people who just live and work on our land uh, and uh, are not uh, support, do not support the ideology of Bandera. In 2014, we understood right away that it's uh, this conflict is not just the civil opposition conflict. This is a, a policy of Russophobia. And the Western world uh, was prepared uh, to that conflict uh, to um, make Russia involved in the armed conflict on this territory. I'm perfectly sure, and I can state it, that uh, most of, most and all of our people who live there, uh, they have never thought about uh, being separated from Ukraine to create some separate movement. The uh, point was the state structure of Ukraine in 2014. Uh, as you remember, it was the unitary state, and it is now actually. But why uh, we did not understood actually uh, why uh, the most of the Western countries are the federal countries and why uh, we are supposed to stay the unitary uh, state by force. As we know from the history of our world and um, the practice uh, of the... Uh, uh, for example, the uh, Ireland uh, is uh, a part of Great Britain. Uh, some Catalonia, and Basques, uh, Cyprus, uh, uh, all any civil conflict can be resolved by agreements. And there were no states, uh, no territories where the tanks uh, were going to or aircrafts were um, attacking those territories.
So for eight years, we Сереж, have been burying our Сережа. friends and family. And uh, it's very difficult for me to describe. There is no words to describe uh, how hard it is. It's just uh, one single word, uh, pain. Because uh, the civilian population, the people just uh, was trying to come out and get some bread, some water, and they uh, have been killed. Я вам покажу сейчас фотографию, если можно увидеть, будет. I can show you the picture. These are the remains of which we uh, discovered near the settlement of Peromeysk last year. These are the remains of the elderly person, the man who just came to in search for bread. He was ripped apart by Ukrainian mind and uh, what was left uh, was just put into a pot. He was buried like this uh, and then we discovered his grave and opened and this is what we saw. This is how he was buried and how we uh, opened the graves and what we saw. I wanted to ask your reaction to Angela Merkel. She's the German chancellor who helped broker the Minsk Accords, which you talked about. And she recently said in an interview that basically Minsk was not intended to bring peace to Ukraine. It was intended to stall for time, to give Ukraine time to, to prepare for war. So this is partly what she said. She said, quote, the 2014 Minsk agreement was an attempt to give Ukraine time. And then she says, and then... And then she says, Ukraine used this time to get stronger, as you can see today. The Ukraine of 2014-2015 is not the Ukraine of today. And I very much doubt that the NATO countries could have done as much then as they do now to help Ukraine. That's Angela Merkel speaking now. So I'm wondering your response to that, to her uh, seeming admission that Ukraine um, did not, and, and Germany, the broker, the people who brokered Minsk, did not see the Minsk Accords actually as a peace accord, but as a stalling tactic. Спасибо, uh, thank you very much for your question. Вы знаете, я благодарна просто Ангеле I'm grateful to uh, Merkel for her to uh, being so brave to tell the truth. It's true that Ukraine used the time of Minsk agreements uh, to become more stronger. You cannot imagine uh, what we discover now when we move the front line away from the territory. What we see is our underground cities uh, filled with concrete, the torture camps. Uh, those people, Ukrainian people, were not uh, preparing uh, and were not ready and did not even think about fulfilling the agreements uh, set by Minsk talks. Uh, they just were preparing to attack Donbass people. And uh, here in Lugansk People's Republic, we did not have uh, an army even. Uh, there were no Russian servicemen that time. Uh, they were people's militia of Lugansk People's Republic. In accordance, in accordance with the international humanitarian law, we call this category of uh, people, uh, the people's militia, as the uh, civil uh, civilians who took, uh, who bear the arms uh, in their head, uh, seeing the enemy. So actually, we agree with the assessment uh, of such kind, and uh, it's uh, we are sorry that we just lost the time uh, eight years. It's uh, actually a very long time, 
and since 2014, uh, over 2,000 people here, the women, children, and elderly people were dead. A lot of people were forced to leave their homes. Uh, and uh, a lot of suffering uh, were done to the elderly people for whom the, uh, it's hard to move. And we uh, saw and we understand uh, that uh, all the people who um, were suspicious, who seemed suspicious to Ukrainian authorities, uh, they were subjected to torture uh, and eventually they were just missing. The way you're described uh, commonly in the U.S. media and by the Ukrainian government is that basically uh, the Luhansk and Donetsk People's Republics are just Russian proxies, that you're controlled by Russia, that your rebellion was, found, uh, was started by Russia and propped up by Russia. How do you respond to that? I started my performance uh, stating uh, that uh, we have never thought about separatism here. And uh, we can even recollect the question uh, set on the first referendum 2014. It was the question about federalization, not about uh, to separate from Ukraine. And uh, in the hardest time uh, in 2014, in August, uh, Russian Federation, and we feel very grateful to Russian Federation for this, they could uh, give us some food parcels and uh, medical care also. Uh, and without this kind of help, uh, under the conditions of blockage from the Ukrainian side, we just would die. So it's what it is. Russia uh, didn't insist uh, on anything here, never. And in 2014, uh, it was the awful tragedy for our people. Uh, actually, uh, nobody was forced uh, Russian uh, Ukrainian tanks uh, and Ukrainian aviation to come here and to shell and attack our territory. And we have a lot of photos and videos to prove. Uh, everybody forgets uh, now already the history, the roots of the uh, conflict in Donbass, but it's uh, very easy to remember. Uh, we remember how our elderly people just came, uh, uh, was coming out to the streets and uh, try, was trying to talk to the Ukrainian servicemen. And they were just asked, uh, the Ukrainian servicemen, why did you come here? We are not going to fight you. They were just trying to agree in some peaceful way. They were telling them, the Ukrainians, that we just uh, are not supposed to worship and we are not going to worship Bandera. You've made reference now several times to Bandera. So that's uh, Stefan Bandera. He's the founder of the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists. Uh, he collaborated with the Nazis during the Second World War in rounding up uh, Jewish people and yeah. Poles uh, for deportation and death and later fought the Soviet Union. And his followers now today in Ukraine uh, include uh, groups like the Azov Battalion, the neo-Nazi group. Why do you see Bandera's followers as such a threat to your people today? And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com.
That was really interesting. Not a perspective we get to hear at all in the uh, NATO states of the world. So very cool to hear from someone on the other side of the Ukraine war. We only hear Ukrainian voices really from one side. So very interesting to get a very different perspective. Sometimes I think when we're having these discussions about the war, it gets a little abstract. And uh, it's, I think, really important to hear from people who are there to remember what kind of impact it has on people's lives. Absolutely. And to hear the full interview, go to usefulidiots.substack.com to get that and all kinds of bonus content. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. 